Hey, this is Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. Did you know that Drift is part of the just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I am aiming to change that. I want to highlight stories of underrepresented leaders and help change the face of corporate America. Once a month, you'll hear inspiring stories from other underrepresented leaders as we work to build our own American dream. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you get the new episodes when they drop. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at EliasT and subscribe to get quarterly updates at drift.com slash American dream. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Samara Hernandez, someone that I've been getting to know in this space in tech and in venture. Uh, I've been really impressed. We met a few years back, right? In the back, in the, like, the green room for Latitude in San Diego at the conference. I remember you saying, oh, we'll connect, we'll stay in touch. And I can't believe how much we actually have been spending time together and many things that we can share with everybody here. But Samara, most important, right? You're the uh, what, managing partner, director of Chingona Ventures. I love that name. Tell us what does that name mean to all the people that might not even uh, speak Spanish, right? Yeah. So Chingona means basically badass woman in Spanish, and it came from Mexico. You know, historically, that word, I guess, if you ask your grandparents, was <laughs> maybe not a frequently used word, uh, came from a swear word, essentially. But over time, many people and basically women have used it as just describing just the badassness that that comes with being a Latina, a Latina in, you know, as an immigrant to a country, uh, all the struggles that you have to overcome. And, you know, I used it with my sisters when we had to overcome a lot of things that, that comes with being a Latina. And so when I was starting my fund, I was trying to think of, you know, a name. So there's a lot of tree funds and there's a lot of number funds and there's a lot of those kind of things. And my younger sister, who's not in venture, was just like, you should call it Chingona Ventures. I mean, you're Chingona. Why not just call it that, right? And so I was like, yeah, maybe maybe I will. And so I launched it. I put it on a deck. And my LP is a Latino. He started cracking up when he saw it. And I was like, is that okay? He's like, yeah, it's okay. And so, but the name has a lot of meaning to it. And it, you know, naturally draws a lot of people to the site and to the fund. And so I'm, I'm proud of it. And it's definitely something you have not heard in venture capital. And so you have not heard the name. There's not many people that look like me in venture. There's not many people that get funded like me in venture. So, you know, I wanted to draw on that piece of it and, and swag is coming out soon. So I'll definitely send you a, a, a sweatshirt or a shirt because now you're in, in Florida. Yes. I'll take anything. <laughs> you know who I follow on Instagram? I follow George Lopez. And he uses Chingon a lot, you know, like, <laughs> stuff like that. So you got to look at his swag. There might be some ideas there. And what I love even more than the name itself, but it's that you say Chingona, you know, with the name. What does that mean? Tell us, tell everybody what, what is that this name of this venture firm forever will have Chingona. Yeah, it's a woman, right? It's not, it's the feminine word of Chingon, you know, it's the feminine version of it. And Many times people think I only invest in women and our team is only women. And I know it's super diverse. It's led by women. It's, there's a lot of women on it. Actually, I was just on a call before this. And one of the founders was like, oh, wow, it's all women. 
And I get that a lot, right? All women on the investment team looking at a deal. And that's very powerful because you never hear that. As a matter of fact, the last call I was on, it was three Latinas on the investment team looking at a company. And that's how rare is that, right? And so for me, that is so important. And I do invest in men. I invest in in non-Latinos as well. And it's great that the word has now become hopefully a more more widely used in venture and in tech, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a powerful thing and, I, and I'm proud of it. Uh, tell us a little bit of your firm, right? You're the founding partner. You created this from scratch. You created a venture firm, right? Uh, tell us a little bit about the magnitude of what you do, right? Like uh, what kind of investments you make, the side checks, how many have you written, whatever you can tell us so people can understand like, how much of a role model you are and how the real deal, how chingona you really are. I think I'm, I'm extremely impressed, right? However you want to measure like your mission or past stuff so people get an idea who you are. Right? So I typically like to tell it from my background because that's where it started and that's what drives today. That's what dri- drove me to my fund if that, if that works. So it began in Mexico and I'd like to just start with, you know, I come from a family of, migrant farm workers, of orphans, of people with no, no more than a fifth grade education. And I think that's really important to say because it's just hardworking people. And I was born in Mexico. I came to the U.S. at a young age. I experienced the immigrant experience, but the poor one. And so we lived in a one-bedroom apartment with multiple families, as many immigrants do come to this country. Our first pieces of furniture were and clothes were donated. And so, and my parents were multiple minimum minimum wage jobs. And that's how I started my life here in the United States. And I think it's really important, right? Because that's where you start and where you're at today. It's like a whole different thing. So I was in ESL until I was in fifth grade and, but I picked up math really, really quickly. And so math is universal language. And so I picked up my numbers quickly. I got more homework from my teachers and I started getting advanced at classes. And that's what led me to study engineering at the University of Michigan. And then from there, going to Goldman Sachs and at Kellogg. And then eventually when I graduated, go into venture. Now, early on, a lot of my, the reason why I went into engineering was not because I had, I saw somebody in engineering that I knew. I actually didn't even know what that was. I was going to be a hairstylist because that's where I worked. And my sister's like, well, you're good at math and science. Maybe there's this engineering thing. I'm like, sure. How hard can it be? And then when I went to, I was at an engineering conference and then Goldman Sachs was there. They're like, you should come and work for us. And we need more engineers. I was like, what do you guys do? I had no idea. Right. And so a lot of early on in my career, it was by luck and being in the same, being at a, a certain place at a certain time where people pulled me up. And so that's what kind of led me to go to Kellogg for my MBA. I took a class called VC Lab, and that's what gave me an internship at an angel group here in Chicago. And then I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. I've been working on the public markets. I like the private side. I like looking at and analyzing early stage companies with barely an idea, barely a product. And there's so much ambiguity around that. It's a lot about people. And so I went out to, to, when I graduated without a job, I didn't know how hard it was to get into venture. I think it was naive, right? And through networking, I finally found a venture fund here in Chicago that was looking to hire someone. And so I convinced them to, to, to hire me. And that's where I joined. Math Ventures? Math Venture Partners. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I'm very fortunate that I joined them because I was a third person 
full-time person on the team. So everything that goes into that, starting a venture fund, refining your thesis, making checks, raising money. There's so much that goes into raising a fund, which I know a lot of people nowadays are raising funds. I think everyone's raising a fund, but there's so much that you don't see in the headlines and the news. It's it's more, it's not just about talking to cool companies and making checks. There's a lot more to that. But I learned that, and this was before the Me Too movement, racial equity conversations this past summer. And I was there for almost five years and I saw the same types of businesses getting funded, the same types of founders that had the same types of networks, maybe came from the same universities. And I just kept seeing the same things. I'm like, I just don't understand. These other businesses have really interesting business models and maybe they don't have the right pitch. Maybe they don't have the right terminology. Maybe they don't, you know, understand how big this can be just yet, but they have something right now. And I had enough data points over five years to say, okay, this business got to profitability. This business business got to an exit. This business got to future rounds of funding outside of the Midwest. And so I went out to create an angel group and my now LP, I found him. He's a Latino and he's the chief investment officer at the Illinois state treasurer's office. And I want I tried to recruit him to be an angel of my fund. And he goes, Hey, I'm looking to fund a different strategy. I, I keep funding the same types of fund managers. I'm like, well, that's great because I want to raise my own fund. And here's my thesis and the strategy. And so together, you know, we, it, um, he seeded my fund, my fund one. It was launched in April of 2019. The fund invests, the strategy is investing in undercapitalized markets, founders, and business models. And so at the earliest stages, so we go at the pre-seed to seed stage. We like being the first institutional check. Our fund one check size is 100 to 250,000. We can lead deals and we're industry agnostic, but we, we like to focus on fintech, future of work, femtech, food, health and wellness and ed tech. We don't exclusively invest in women and minorities, but over 50% of the portfolio has women CEOs. And I like to count CEOs, not just founders, right? Those leading the, those on the board, leading the companies with majority equity upfront, over 80, over 70% are racially diverse. And that's Latino, that's uh, African-American, that's Native American. 42% are immigrant, not by design. It was just a nice surprise, uh, which is great. And then 87% are outside of the Valley. So my thesis is that is proving that you can get outsized returns with an outsized diversity in the portfolio. And many people think that because it's run by a Latina, which there's, I think, less than 0.05% of all venture capital is run by a Latina. And I mean, running the fund, you know, because there's, there's all different levels. So fund one, we have 20 investments. We have 23, uh, three more commitments. So we'll close them in the next two weeks. So we'll be at 23 and then we'll do another, call it two to three more investments in the fund. So it's a different strategy, right? We have a more, it's not a concentrated portfolio because concentrated, I would think is like 10 to 12 investments and we don't have a spray and pray model. So we don't do like 50 plus investments. We do something around 25 to 30 where we can still, we can invest a significant check, help the company out, but also, you know, get them to that next stage of funding. And so fund one, am I asking the wrong question? I'm getting ahead of myself. Is there a fund two? Is that the next level of work that you have? Once you finish this, you start with the next? So we were fortunate as of last October that PayPal Ventures has, had committed to invest in an equity initiative around investing in more women and minorities. We were fortunate that they announced our investment in our fund two. And so from that, that basically kickstarted a lot of the conversations for fund two. And so that's the next goal. The initial. So that's publicly now, you know, people know that, right? PayPal invested in you. 
and then you work, you know, decide on working on that to finalize what to, when you start investing. Yes. That fund. That's amazing, right? And you're still finishing. So this is early in the work, but it's such an amazing accomplishment, right? To envision this, to have the thesis and to actually get it off the ground and work to like, you know, I'm getting a taste of how much work it takes to fund a deal, source, find and invest in a deal, right? So especially, you know, we can talk a little bit about that. So it's incredible. Congratulations. Much respect. Before we go more into that stuff, I just, the story is amazing. It's fascinating. I do have uh, many parallels to that. And, and so, like, it's awesome to hear. And one of the things I like to talk about is the American dream. And you are living proof of that. And I love how you said how many people helped you, pulled you out by being at the right time at the right place. Mine wasn't as fancy as yours. You, you know, you were at school and Goldman Sachs picked you up, right? IBM picked me up, right? And so at a job fair, and they were like, what are you doing here? Like, we need you, right? And so it's really, I want us to be hopeful and encourage other people to know that we might have be discriminated. We might have a lot of the system against us, but there's have to be hope that there's so many people that really want to help people like us and give us a chance and they need it, right? For their own good as well. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you saw it from when you first when you moved into this country, like someone donated my first pair of clothes, my first jacket, my first furniture. We constantly had people come through the, our apartment. It was a one bedroom apartment, but we helped get the next generation of immigrants, get them up and go- going and start and get them clothes and food and jobs. And then they went off. And so that's we saw that from when we were little. Right. And so it's just kind of ingrained in us to help others. It seems that you have a good, strong sense of community. I, I was like, you know, getting help. Like I remember in, in San Francisco, my family that moved there in the seventies, it was like that. They were living in this apartments where like the whole family had to sleep in the same bedroom. Right. And like, luckily when I came, you know, I came 20 years later, we had some of their lessons and we found in Tampa, Florida, like, like a two bedroom. So it was a little bit easier, but yeah, I mean, there was my three brothers, we were in one bedroom, but I like, it's your parents must've been amazing to be developing that community of like helping all the other immigrants. I wasn't as, I was more like focusing on like getting a job, helping support my mother and get to the house. But I wasn't as surrounded by that many people like you guys were surrounding others. So that's, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it was, (laughs) we had some interesting characters. And now thinking about it, it's like you have random strangers coming to your home and your kids are, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, and they're alone, alone with them, right? We were home alone a lot. It was just not because my mom wanted it, just because they worked two, three minimum wage jobs. We didn't have a babysitter. So we would be home by ourselves. And it was just an interesting to hear their stories and to, you know, see strangers and just kind of I know it's kind of weird. It sounds weird, but it's learn the stories of Mexico and how they struggled. Some people cross the border through the desert and and survived that. And some people, you know, had different means. And that just at the earliest stages in your life gives you a different perspective on life and on people's struggle. You know, I just don't not know how to recreate that with my children, right? I think I grew up, my parallel to that, I would just play out on the street all day. And I would interact with people working in construction at different houses, kids from really poor kids that were selling like food in the street. I would hang out with them. I would talk to an adult. I would talk to contract. I would talk to anyone. I would go to the market. And so like, I'm an extrovert and, and you hear all the stories, right? 
and you learn about all these people. Now kids just like interact with people their own age, right? And, and so that, all this stuff influenced me to feel my experience about how the world works, right? And it's hard to recreate that. And, and it, I think it's also like, we're such a difficult society where everything, we focus on the negative, scare in the worst case scenario of, of what could have happened there, like terrified. But on the other hand, it's like, we had to believe in others that were seeking something better for their families. They were not that, like, oh, they're immigrants. They're, they're gonna be scary and dangerous, right? And your mother trusted them and helped them. And you got to learn and be inspired by that, right? You're paying it forward. You're now building a firm that is investing in companies of those people. It's a full circle. And it's crazy to me, right? That like 30 plus years ago, I was there and, and now I'm here making investments in these companies. And it's funny because I, uh, so I wear, you know, my Chingona Ventures shirt or, you know, swag when I'm on panels and whatever else. And I remember one of the last events I went pre-COVID was at Northwestern and I talked on this panel and I wore this Chingona shirt. I dropped off my jacket and everybody behind the table was, they were Mexican immigrants and they were just all talking to each other. Like, is that she wearing chingona? Is that she, what? You know? And they're like, are you Latina? Are you Mexican? And, and you just talk to, and it reminds me of my parents. My parents did that, right? My parents were the ones that were the busboys, the maids, the, and they're just like, and she's speaking right in front of everyone, in front of everyone at Northwest, a hundred different people. And it's just like a crazy thing to just be like two decades, a decade ago, I was two decades ago. I was their kids. And now I'm here. And it's just a beautiful moment, I think, to just highlight what, what we can do with the American dream. And, you know, many times people ask me, what's it like being a Latina in BC? Or what's it like being one of the only, you know, I don't think about that ever. I'm constantly trying to be like, okay, how do I get my next deal? Why did I win that? Why did I lose that? I, you know, what, what are the people that are most successful doing four or five funds down the line? And the only time I think through that is when I get imposter syndrome, or I was like, or I'm like, oh, you know, something went wrong or, or an LP said no to me. I'm just like, but I started at a very different point and where I'm at today, right? Even though I don't necessarily have the exact returns and whatever else, it shows me success early on for me. And it just pushes me, it drives me to do more. And, you know, one example is, is I was on a panel recently, just a virtual one, again, in Northwestern. I do a lot with Northwestern because they're, you know, I went there and I enjoy of Northwestern. <laughs> my husband got three degrees there. My sister got a, a degree there. She teaches engineering, you know, an engineering class there. So we're a big Northwestern family. But I was on a panel and there was this entrepreneur who had like six different companies all exited, now a VC, you know, knew everyone, knew Cheryl Sandberg and whatever else. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this guy is pretty intense. And I'm uh, sitting on a panel with him, like colleagues, but we're both still here, right? Like it doesn't matter where we came from. We're both still here and we're both proving that we can invest and make outsized returns. And so I just, I tell myself that to remind myself that I started a very different place and, you know, what that means for our community, what that means to, for, for me to be successful and it pushes me forward. Yeah, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. We talk a lot, I talk a lot about that. I feel it, I think we play, you know, we play mind games with, our, with ourselves so much people like us that are ambitious and, and we want to move forward and we want to learn how to overcome fear, criticize ourselves. We're like the, our toughest critics, right? Ourselves. And so I think that it's something to share with others that way that you 
just work through that set of emotions when you were on that panel, right? I don't understand why we do it to ourselves. Like, I'm just being transparent. Like, I'm in the world of, like, as an entrepreneur, it's like everybody wants to measure you by how much did you raise. Everybody wants to raise, rate you or, or rank you by what's your valuation. If it's not one exit, it's like, well, how many exits, like you said, right? It's like, it's like well, how fast did it grow? It's like, it's like, it's just a never ending, you know, rat race. And instead, what I've been working through, especially through the pandemic is, is to be, we create our own game, right? It's our yes. version of success. And when I look back like you, at where I was, you know, having food stamps in Tampa, Florida, you know, in 1993, I'm like, look, I can rent a house by the water in my family and enjoy some, some quality time that I never had when I first, never dreamed of having access, yeah. right? And so we, we, we got to stop going ourselves crazy and put mm-hmm. the, right, the right, right amount of push. But it's also like, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not about only having one person on that panel and who's the mass, you know, chingon, right? It's like, yeah. it's really about, we need both stories because some people are going to listen to that other person and connect with that person. And some people are going to connect with you. Oh yeah. Oh, that, that's exactly it. You know, like some people connected with him and, and they have the same story. And for me, I had a lot of people reach out to me. I'm very transparent. I was like, I never had the highest GPA. I never had the highest ACT, SAT. I did engineering, but I wasn't, it didn't come easy to me. I went to two classes, three classes at a time and went to office hours, every office hours I could possibly, even if I knew how to do the homework so I could teach others so I could make sure that I knew, you know, fully knew the topic. And some people relate to that. And I want to just say that because many times you see people on panels or on podcasts or in the news, how much you raise, and they put you on a pedestal. And, you know, like I, we're just everyday people just trying to figure it out. You're trying to get to your company to a certain point. You're trying to get to the next exit. I'm trying to get exits in my portfolio. I'm trying to raise the next fund, right? And so we're still working through that. We have, of course, we, we've had our success in our own right from where we started off in life, but we're still trying to make it as well. And we want to help others along the way, obviously. And we've talked about this too. You know, people reach out a lot and you, you're kind of trying to balance two things. You're trying to run your fund, run your company, and you want to help others. And you're trying to balance how to do both. And that's a lot of pressure that you feel too, because you can't do it all. So I'm still working through that. I'm definitely not perfect. And you've actually, you gave good advice to one of your friends. Is it Carolina? That reached out to me and I was just like, hey, Latina wants to get into venture, most likely to say yes. <laughs> but, but she, you know, she's like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't offer you a piece of value because I think somebody posted on LinkedIn and whatever else. And, you know, look, I think we're all trying to just do our best and things like this, where we can scale our story and we can hopefully inspire someone to start their business or their fund or, you know, get to that next point in their life, I think is important. And there's different ways of, of doing that. Right. What I like about that, right. is like, I am constantly have this like high bar where that imposter syndrome, it, it cuts me in both ways. Like I don't like saying stuff or both things that are going to interpret as me boasting or being prideful. I don't feel they're good enough. Right. To, to put him, um, it's like the opposite. And this country has like an amazing way of like broadcasting a lot and marketing every little thing as a big thing. But my Latino yeah. way is like, it has to be real. It has to be like an amazing thing. And so I'm yes. always like second guessing what I'm saying. 
right? Because I don't want to go out and say it. And so from that perspective, what I like to do is like, I want to work hard to do great things, but people are, but I want to stop doing that and focusing on like how I can help others, right? And so that's mm-hmm. where I'm balancing some of this. I don't want to be that, that guru or that person that is, you know, those thought leaders or those like influences. I'm trying not to be that because I don't like that. I want to focus on building a business, but it is much more fulfilling when we get to, when, when somebody emails me and says like, look, I, I was thinking of starting a company. I was afraid, but you encouraged me to, to go try it, right? And it's like, um, when, when somebody says, I want to become a woman, we see connected with her and you inspire her, right? That could make a huge impact that we don't have enough of. And so like, that's kind of like trying to balance between like, I want to be hiding and just working, but then I'm like, I need to say some of it, you know? Well, well, look like, you know, there's, there's different ways of doing it. So for me, I'm the same exact way. Like people think I only launched in January of 2020 because that was what my first article was, but I actually launched, you know, eight months before and I didn't even know if it was going to close. So some people start talking about their fund before they even raise their first, you know, half million million and they're, they're all talking about it. And now there's rules around that you can do that. But I was like, I don't even know if it's going to go through. And then when it went through, I was like, I don't even know if the strategy is going to work. So I need to start making investments. And it wasn't until somebody in Chicago was just like, we're publishing your story. I'm like, wait, I'm not ready. You know, and then that's when it officially launched. And so I'm on. You wanted to wait till you had three full, like 20 X wins. You're like, I'm not done yet. Exactly. I wanted to wait. One fund is not enough. Wait till I have (laughs) successful funds in a row, you know, and wait till I beat Sequoia's returns, you know. Right. That's how we are, right? Yeah, that's exactly how we are. And I'm not that person. And so, you know, and I look at some people and they're follower rich, capital poor <laughs> in that, right? Like, and not to call out anybody or anything, but like that's eventually that'll lead to other things, hopefully, right? You have to build a brand. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm a small Midwest fund. I need to go out there and get people to come to the site to, you know, see me as a potential investor in their fund, to potentially invest in my fund, that whole thing. But I need to balance, to your point, the like being out there and talking about this with actually building. And if I'm not going to be a VC, if I don't get returns, bottom line, that's what I'm striving for, right? It doesn't matter how many followers I have. It doesn't matter how many tweets I have. It doesn't, it's so, but I will say that some of the social media platforms have also like helped connect me with other people and helped spread the word about certain things that I want to spread. And that's many times about the Latino community because we get left behind in so many different areas and we're so different, right? Like some of us are dark, some of us are light, some of us speak Spanish, some of us speak Spanglish, some of us are, you know rich some of us are poor like it's it's all over the place and that's beautiful about the latino community but it makes it sometimes very hard for us to organize and for people to be like are you this or are you that are you and i want to just show that we're here there are latinas in vc although few there are latinos there are latinos like you building amazing companies and so let's get that next generation of people doing this while we're still building and it, it's just a hard balance to do both. I mean, like, look, you just said uh, amazing businesses and I'm like cringing. I'm like, please, this is great. Like, I'm like, I, I know all my flaws. I know all the things that we do, <laughs> the pain, the growth. But um, I was going to say, I think we did a good job of describing this feeling, right? Where we're like, it, what imposter, whatever, like you said, you know, where we, you know, we haven't done enough yet to publicize it. 
is that different by gender? Is it like, I feel like we both describe the same exact feeling, right? And yet you are masterfully overcoming it, right? And you're doing it, right? You have, you put yourself out there, you put the news, you carry your name, you invest in companies, you close the deals, you're working on the next one. You're amazing, right? And it's like, is it like, what do you see in other uh, women, you know, that are want to become a VC where that is limiting them to all the things that you do? Or is that just natural comfort? You know, I do see some differences and, and, and I'll talk about it from a Latina perspective because those are where I see the biggest difference and, and where we represent the least out of in tech and adventure. Many times Latinas that I talk to are like, you know, well, I need to take care of my family. I can't be too far from home with their undergrads, which is something my parents can have wanted. It's the risk piece. It's, it's women. It's, it's everyone, but it's a risk piece. It's daunting to see that much money that you have to put up to invest in a fund. So people don't know this, but it's very expensive to launch a fund. So many times you have to go without salary for two years and you don't know if you're going to be able to successfully raise. Many times you have to then, or not many times, you actually have to put up 1% typically of the total fund as your own personal capital. So if that's a $25 million fund, that's 250,000. So not only do you have typically a lot of loans, you don't have a cushion, you it may not have salary for two years. And that's just the beginning of the fund, right? That's if you are successful in raising a fund. And if it's under, you know, 10 million, typically it's really hard to get any sort of salary for, for the long term. And so there's a lot of risk as starting your own fund. And then it's a business where you don't know if you're doing well for five to 10 years. So I'm making all these investments, but I don't know if, if they're doing well. I know that there's revenue growth. I know that they've raised future rounds of funding. I know, you know, partnerships and whatever else, but there's no exit yet. And so there is so much unknown. And, you know, one of the things that I, I saw recently was that women are taught to be perfect and men are taught to be brave. And for me, the biggest thing I learned growing up, and it wasn't my parents or anybody else, just society. I don't know what it was, but I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to have the right numbers. I wanted to be have the right everything before I even started something. And I remember even applying for a job, right? So when I graduated from Kellogg, I was looking at these jobs and uh, there are all these like 10 qualifications. And I remember like, oh, I can't apply for that. I can't apply for that. And my husband was actually like, why can't you? You have two of those things and the rest you'll learn. And it's, I see that over and over again in so many women, especially that, that are like, oh, I don't have the right thing. Right. And then on top of that, not only do I don't think I have the right skill sets, I can't, I need to get a job that pays a good salary because I have to take care of my parents. I have to pay off my loans. I have to, you know, and so you start at a different base and then, you know, growing up, you're taught to be a certain way. And so I think that risk component is very difficult to grasp. And so for me, it wasn't necessarily that I knew or that I'm different or that I have like this innate skill to be risky because I, my dad's an accountant who, who taught me to save when I was 13 years old, half my paycheck. And then when I left Goldman Sachs, he was like, wait, you're leaving a company with good insurance. What? Right? <laughs> to, to, to go where? When I left IBM, everybody was like, are you crazy? <laughs> and it's like, I went to David, a 10-person company that only raised a million dollars. This is the other thing. I don't know if what we're doing is a good job to encouraging people to start funds or to start companies <laughs> or we're discouraging them. But I, I had any, this has been such a learning thing for me, what you just said, that holy shit, starting a fund 
it is crazy. What you just described to me is like maybe worse than 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 starting a company. It's wow. Yes, it's insane. It's like I I'm like, why am I doing this? You know, but I love it. I can't see myself doing anything else. I, I think about this every single moment of the day, right? Like just like you're obsessed with your solving the problem that you're solving for your company. I'm obsessed with with this part of it. But you know, I think what helped me was I saw somebody that was like, oh, you know, have you tried going into this asset class? Did you try going to venture capital? Like, what is it? I don't even, I mean, I know what it is, but am I a fit? And then people like even my husband saying, hey, you should apply. You're going to learn everything else. These are the things you do have. And then, you know, getting in. And it's just, sometimes it's just someone showing you like, you've never thought about this, but you can do this. Right. And, and even if it sounds really risky and it just sounds, sounds daunting, if you really love it, there's an opportunity for you to be, have a place here. Right. And everyone's journey is different. And so I remember you being on the panel. This is how I was like, I need to meet, I need to meet you. I think Grady, it was a Grady from Sequoia. You were on the panel with them and he was like, you were talking about exits. I don't remember the story exactly, but that was the first time that you were like, wow, this is where my company can grow to. And for me, it's the same thing. I was like, I had no idea. If you would have asked me five, six years ago, you're going to start a company, you're going to start your own venture fund and invest in founders you you absolutely love. And, and you're going to have to have more conviction than anybody else, but you're going to love it every single day. And you're going to be able to raise fund one and fund two. I've been like, you're out of your mind. No, no one else is doing this. And sometimes, again, it's just someone saying you can, and then you're not saying, all right, I'm not perfect. I don't know what this means. I'm probably unqualified and I probably don't look like anybody else, but F it, I'm just going to go try it, right? What's the worst that could happen? Absolutely. I think I think that, um, and I'm watching the time a little bit, but I think it's awesome. I, I've, been, I've been watching, becoming a fan of Brene Brown. I think you're, you're, I love that line that you said that I, I don't want to stereotype. I don't want to say it wrong, but it's like you said, women are taught to be perfect and men are taught to be brave, right? And how that needs to be flipped. So every, we need to encourage everyone to be bright, right? To not try to hold ourselves to this perfection, to this, you know, to, that, that holds us back to not trying things. But there's a story from Brene Brown about her daughter. And she was asked in, in, in a swim meet, in, in a swim team, and they gave her the toughest swim. I think it was like the butterfly, you know, and because they just, I don't know, they just put different swimmers into different categories. And the daughter was was struggling and crying. She wanted to quit and she didn't want to do it. And so there was this struggle of like, do you pressure? Do you not? And that, so she had, she came out of a strategy that she was going to scratch the heat and, and miss it. And that would have been fine. And she wouldn't got in trouble. And they said to her, you do whatever you need to do. The last moment before the heat was about to, with, with, you know, they were going to blow the whistle or whatever. She shows up out of the, out of the room, out of the locker gets into it and gets in the water and that's a terrible job. Like she is last by like a mile. Like I think everybody comes out and she's still swimming and there's, and the parents are like supporting her. But she said something that blew me away that for her winning was jumping into the pool. Her winning was not about being number one in that race. And so I think I'm connecting that with us is I'm building a company. And I'm enjoying and I'm learning and I'm growing for it. And we're here and we're representing and we're showing people we can be here. You are starting a fund. You are investing in companies. You're helping people. You're giving, you're helping, you know, operators have an opportunity to have a shot. 
we don't need to be worrying about where, how much bigger you are or how much more successful than so forth. You're doing it. And we have to appreciate how that impact of, like somebody asked, showed you that VC asset class and he put you in this whole path for your life, what we can do for many other people, right? Try something, so it's unbelievable. And look, ultimately, I want to create multi-generational wealth for our community. I want, I'm doing this so I can invest in the next generation of founders. Many of them are Latinos, that they can get you know, a, a new wealth that they never ever thought about for their families. For me, for, to, for, to do it with me and my fund and for my LPs, my inv- limited partners that are investing in my funds. And I, you know, these are, some of them are, you know, endowments and foundations, but their end clients are everyday American, right? And I take that very yeah. seriously. I take, you know, having and investing their money on behalf of them very, very seriously. And so for me, it's about multi-generational wealth. It's about thinking about it in a very, very different way. And, and changing, you know, how we have influence in our community with wealth and, right, we, we, can, we can organize differently. We can have a voice differently. We can, you know, make changes in our ecosystem very differently. I was, uh, I mean, Tampa and three other friends, Filipino and two Blacks and myself, right? And they were asking me about investments and they were asked, they were talking about the stock market and they're talking about the stock, you know, doubling or something, you know, and, and I was explaining to them that that is really hard, right, to build all this wealth w- because we don't have access to the right information. But I was explaining to them how investing in an angel and a seed on a company that goes multi-billion, what are the kind of returns, right? Mm-hmm. They've heard this before. They were like, tell me more, tell me more. And then tell me, how do I get access to that? Because they, they had $25,000 to invest but they were peanut butter in that over stocks without too much information, right? I love what you said, right? Is that we need to help accelerate the access to multi-generational wealth, right? That will make a difference in the Latino and the black community in this country. And what you're doing is it's really, really powerful because you've shown that it's possible to play at a, at a much larger game, right? That it's not just about having a great salary for 30 years, and then be able to like retire, right? That, that's still a dream for most of us Latinos in here in this country. But you're yeah. like creating amazing wealth that will impact everybody, community, the LPs, the operators, their families, their children in the future generation. It's a multiplier effect, right? Like, like the fact that PayPal Ventures committed to my fund and then the next day it was announced that I invested in a company led by a Latina where 100% of the cap table was women, 80% were Latinas, right? But it shows immediately what happens. I just hired my full-time hire, a Latina. So it's just, you invest in one, you're going to invest in 100 different Latinos, right? Or others, because of our diversified networks. And and that's what I learned as, as a child when, when I had people come to my home, immigrants helping them out, and I helped them out, my family helped them out, then they helped somebody else out, and I helped multiple families. And so I'm just doing that on a, on a very different level, very different scale. And I want to leave it there, pause for now for this conversation, because I think that that's really well said. I feel like we should talk another time on the actual due diligence and some more stories on due diligence <laughs> and decision making, because I think people want to know more about that, right? And to expose you, help you expose you to Latino communities. I want to be whatever it takes as a, as a village, right? As, as, a, as a group of people, right? to 
bet on each other, to help each other. I want more Latinos to come to you, Latinos, Latinas, and like look for investment. You invest in the best one. They become successful and like, let's blow this thing up, right? And in whatever yeah. way I help, I'm, I'm working with you. I'm at your service, right? <laughs> and fun to work with. You. Yeah, no, you too. You too. That's the thing. When I saw you on stage, I was like, okay, we got to connect. And we did. And we've been connecting ever since. And so. Connect <laughs> with everybody. Like, you know what I mean? It's, like, yeah. it's hard to be involved in everything with everybody because then you're not going to have to be successful. I'm really thankful that organically you and I have been working together more and we just keep crossing paths. And yes. so it's like, we've got to do activities that have high leverage for everybody. So you are definitely working with Samara is uh, high leverage, everybody. <laughs> that if you can get into that motion, get in there. We'll talk again. I really so impressed. I love your story. I love the immigrant story. And I love what you're doing and how well you are, how confident you are and that you're doing the right thing and something that you're so passionate. I'm, you know, it's like, we want more people to find South that they're passionate about. And they yeah. can 100%, right? I love this. Thank you for having me, you know, come on and let's continue the conversation. Let's do a due diligence podcast. But I love this. You know, I love this. this is what I'm passionate about. And you too. Let's get more Latinos funded. Let's get more Latinos creating multi-generational wealth. It's incredible what's possible in this country. Again, and just to wrap up with the American dream, right? That, that we can have access to creating multi-million, multi-billion dollar companies in returns, right? It's yeah. incredible that we can do, that we, that we have the opportunity to build the same thing that others have built in this country for many, many years, right? It's the time. Bueno, hasta luego. We'll be in touch. Thanks for listening to The American Dream. Let me know what you thought of this episode by tweeting me at Elias T. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave a five-star review. Por favor. If you're looking for more leadership insights and stories like the ones you just heard, sign up for my series, The American Dream, at drift.com slash American-Dream. Every quarter, you'll learn how Drift is progressing towards our mission of remaking the face of corporate America. And you will get insights from amazing Latin American and entrepreneurs of color and leaders like Manny Medina of Outreach, Maria Martinez of Cisco, and many others, along with curated content, news, events, and ideas delivered straight to your inbox. Muchas gracias, and don't forget to sign up.